Three hostages accidentally killed. How? Hashem, this is really too much. Israelis are in mourning how Israel's left has been completely devastated in the face of 10-7. And how you can make a difference. Yes, you. If you have a phone, you can help us win the Hasbara fight. I'm going to give you the best resources for all things Israel advocacy. This is the Weekly Squeeze. I am your talented and humble host, Hanala Music, coming at you from the land of Israel with episode 161 of your favorite podcast. Hello. Every week I sit down here and I think, what am I going to convey? Everything is so intense. Everything is so heavy. Everything I say is just so loaded with emotion these days. Is the podcast a good place to unload? I don't know, but it's cheaper than therapy. What's going on? Hope you are doing okay. If the sun is shining like it is here in Israel, life is good, all things considered. Just don't go on the news. <laughs> don't go online. Because as soon as you do, reality will be there waiting for you with a big smack in the face. Good morning, sister. That's how I greet my friends in the dog park. Hi. What do you guys want to cry about today? Do you want to cry about the fact that there are still sirens ringing? Yeah, sirens. Friday night, when everyone was out and about, after Shul, there was a siren in Beit Shemesh. So, you know, you stop, you go into the safe room, and then you think to yourself, I wonder where my kids are. And then you think to myself, are there really rockets overhead? And then you hear explosions. And you're like, yep, indeed, there were rockets shot out from Gaza into Israel over Beit Shemesh to uh, an area called Zanoach, which is right here up the road. And they were shot out of the sky. And Baruch Hashem, nobody was hurt because everybody was out and about, just you know, doing the Shabbos thing, walking the dogs and playing in the parks and going to Shul and just being in the holy embrace that Shabbos wraps the Jews in each and every Friday night. But that was disturbed by a rocket. We have a rule in our house. Um, after 15 minutes, the kids have to present themselves. So if there was a rocket, you have 15 minutes to get home. So that means 10 minutes to be in the safe room, give or take, and then five minutes to come home and let us know that you're fine, even though we know you're fine. But that's just the rule in our house. Everyone came home. And we talked about it at the Shabbos meal, and that's it. And then my kids went back to being happy-go-lucky kids that only have a medium awareness of the war. But that could just be my kids because we don't have a chayal in our family, immediate family. We don't have a brother in Gaza. Everyone around us does, so I can't imagine it's like perfectly normal in people's homes. As a matter of fact, it's anything but everywhere you turn. But people are still operating and going to school and trying to, I guess, offer our children some sort of normalcy, even though nothing is normal. Nothing is normal. When people die in Israel, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal on a good day. When people are killed by terrorist attacks, we all stop, and it really shakes Israel to the core because every single terrorist attack is personal. This whole war is personal. So every single death, every single injured, and there are thousands of injured. I mean, who even has time to, to start reporting on the sheer devastation that this war is having on an entire generation? I mean, amputees by the dozens, PTSD, uh, burn victims, trauma, just the whole gamut. 
the whole gamut. That's not even with addressing the hostages or, or the psychological effects of having a child in the army for an extended amount of time. At, at All the while, you wake up to news that every single day, four, three, five, eight soldiers were killed the night before exactly where your son or husband or father is going. I mean, that kind of emotional turmoil has probably yet to be studied in Israel. So this is just going to just, this is just remarkable that this is the reality. I'm looking at a picture of Uriah Bayer in his IDF uniform, beautiful, handsome boy. He is Christian and his family came to Israel from Germany to atone for the actions of the Nazis in the Holocaust. Did you just get the chills? Cause I did. His parents, Gideon and Nellie, established a nursing home for Holocaust survivors in northern Israel. They cared for them for decades. All of their kids were in the army. Oria was in the elite Maglan commando unit. He was critically injured December 14th and then died. So that was cleared for publication. Words that Israelis shudder when they read at this point. When the family is told and then the world is told... It's just, it's just deeply, deeply painful to be in Israel and to experience this. I'm watching a video of Liel Chayo, and he is in a tank, and he is surrounded by his comrades, and he is making Kiddush on a little bottle of grape juice, and there's hot dog buns and just, you know, random crackers in the tank Friday night. They're in Gaza. He's making Kiddush, and everybody's answering Amen, and now he's dead. Now he's dead. That's it. It's over. Now he's passed. Now his life is over, thanks to Hamas. <sighs> it's just a hard pill to swallow. It's really a hard pill to swallow. How many soldiers we have lost, how quickly we are losing them, how ferocious this war is, how ruthless our enemies are, how determined Israel is to win this time. And we can talk for many hours on how this could have been prevented, how this should have been prevented, who's responsible, and all of that, and we will. But right now, the focus is on winning the war, and that means destroying Hamas so they stop killing our people and stop psychologically traumatizing them. It's very, very painful. And on top of it, that Israel is well aware that the world loves this, like this is just a blood sport. We're a blood sport. Like people just sit back in their chairs and they're eating popcorn and like how many Jews are going to get killed today? And it's just, you know, feels like a crapshoot. It really does at this point because some really great people have been taken away from us and we're a small country and we are very family oriented and we, we value life and nature and animals and being alive. And these families are, are going to experience a tremendous hole, tremendous, tremendous hole that will never be filled where their older brother was, where their son was, because we're just not ordinary people. We are a nation of bold and brave heroes and heroines. And it's really sad to see that uh, mothers are burying their sons every single day in this country. And for what? And for what? to take care of how do you solve a problem like Hamas? I mean, who are we kidding? I, I know we're not supposed to use that term, 
But just because they used it about us and they were wrong doesn't mean that we can't use it on them and be right. They are a problem. And the problem with them is that they are hell-bent on making our lives as miserable as possible. That's why they put billions of dollars under the ground in a tunnel system big enough that trucks could go through. I mean, the sheer sophisticated... And I thought they were a bunch of dumb, dumbbells, honestly. I thought they were a bunch of losers. Turns out, not such losers after all, when they are so dead set and hell-bent on destroying Jews that they literally figure out how to run the world's biggest terrorist organization. Underground. Underground against Israel. I mean, they managed to pull it off. I got to give them credit. They managed to pull it off. You know what else they managed to pull off? Israel accidentally shooting three hostages. And if you haven't heard, yes, absolutely tragic, tragic story. The IDF accidentally killed three hostages. Okay, there were three hostages that Hamas took from the kibbutzim outside of Gaza into Gaza for over 70 days, for two months, over two months. Somehow, the IDF accidentally killed them when they were in the war zone. So they were in a war zone, and three young men were accidentally shot by the IDF. How? I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. Because I know that nothing would have been a greater success for the unit positioned there than being able to bring home three hostages. That I know for sure. So whatever did take place, you should never know. We should never know what it feels like to be in that environment and have to make that decision, that split-second decision. We don't know. We don't know what these soldiers have been through, what their frames of mind are. But what we do know is that, and it's a noxious term, friendly fire, but what I do know is that it was an accident. And I saw a very poignant Israeli cartoon, and you see a chayal, and his heart is broken, and the three boys are behind him, the spirits of the three boys, and they're saying, it's okay, keep going, finish them off. Yeah, very painful stuff. The mother of one of these boys, I'm going to look up the names, let's see, Yotam Chaim, from left to right, yeah, Yotam Chaim. His mother was actually on Israeli news or Israeli radio, um, making it very clear that she has zero interest in demonstrating or presenting any sort of um, disappointment with the government at this time because she recognizes that the army is made up of people, of us, of our boys, of our communities, of our neighbors, of our friends. The Israeli army is the people's army. The IDF is the people's army. We're not an army like others. I'm sure by now you know that. And she would never criticize them while they were out there in the fields looking for her son. That's what she said. And unfortunately, this is the very sad end of a very, very dark period in the lives of these people, their families, and of Am Yisrael. Yeah, it's tough, tough times. Lots of tshuva to be done, lots of praying to be had, lots of tehillim to be said, lots of charity to be given, especially now during the holiday season. By the way, if you want to send me a Hanukkah present, and you might because you adore me and you've been listening to me forever now, you should donate to the charity link that I put down below. And that will make me feel like you sent me a personal Hanukkah gift by chipping in and helping us purchase 120 fireproof uniforms for the Nachal Brigade 
that's positioned up north. So if you can help me make that happen, it would be amazing to be able to deliver 120 pairs of really great quality tactical gear that these guys can wear that is fireproof. That's literally the difference between life and death. And we have been losing soldiers every day, all day, and we simply cannot afford anymore. So if you could afford it, by all means, head over to the show note links and um, make a donation and send me a Hanukkah gift. And we will make sure that next year on Hanukkah, everybody's sons are exactly where they need to be, home, taking out the garbage. There are so many people who have been so beautifully articulate in expressing how we're all feeling during this dark gullus that we are navigating together. In particular, Hillel Fold. I think he's doing a beautiful service by taking the time to tweet how he's feeling about particular things because sometimes you just need someone else to tell you how you're feeling. It's like you know how you're feeling, but you want to yell it from the rooftop and you don't have the words. But Hillel does. Listen to this. I just turned on my phone after being disconnected for the past 25 hours and read the absolutely heart-wrenching news that the IDF mistakenly identified three hostages as terrorists and killed them. My heart has a threshold of sadness that it can handle, and this is far, far beyond it. Mind you, his brother was killed by a terrorist. Of course, the IDF took responsibility for this horrible tragedy because the IDF, unlike our enemies is moral and takes accountability for its actions. It is clear that this is a tactic of Hamas's to disguise the hostages as Hamas terrorists when transporting them. A female hostage that was released confirmed that when they were moved, Hamas dressed them in hijab so they wouldn't be recognized by anyone. Like I said, my heart is broken from this news, but I have to keep reminding myself just how evil Hamas is and to what immoral lengths they will go. Despite the total lack of moral clarity around the world, I, we, must never forget what we are dealing with here. We must never forget for a second what Hamas is and what they did on October 7th and what they continue to do every day in Gaza, not just to the IDF, but to their own people as well. Almost as bad as the horrible physical atrocities committed by Hamas are their horrible psychological warfare tactics, which get sicker by the day. While the world will spin this event to vilify Israel, and by the way, immediately people started saying, oh, but there was a white flag. See, they shoot people. Give us a break. We don't shoot people. As a matter of fact, we put videos out of people marching like ants out of Gaza with their Adidas sweatshirts still on because we don't shoot terrorists. We take them in. So this whole story is an abnormality for the IDF. So while the world will spin this event to vilify Israel, just like they do every event, even October 7th itself, we, we need to remind ourselves constantly that they can say what they want. They don't have a moral compass. Israel is fighting a just war and must not stop until Hamas is no more. The international pressure to end the war will only increase as time goes by, and sooner or later, not very long from now, the world, including Biden, will demand that Israel cease fire. And that is word on the street. There is a lot of pressure from America, that Israel do things a certain way, and Israel cannot be put in a timeline or in some sort of time frame and and, and given all these limitations when we're dealing with an enemy that has no boundaries and has no limits. So Israel's going to have to do what they need to do, despite what the world says, despite what the Democrats feel they need to do to appeal to their constituents. It's irrelevant to Israel, and, and I've expressed that before. He goes on, I hope and pray that our leaders will respectfully decline and reject that demand 
unequivocally. It seems so. It seems so. The only thing that will break my heart more than all of these horrible losses is if these losses are in vain and we stop before our mission is accomplished, God forbid. The only thing Israelis are hanging on to at this point, the only thing that's giving people kayak to get out of bed and attend all these funerals is the fact that we're destroying Hamas no matter what. Like We are willing to take blow after blow after blow after blow if... There's the me- if the final um, result is peace, and yes, peace means no Hamas. There is no peace with the Palestinians. There's no peace with people who want to kill you. And 75% of Palestinians want to kill us. The rest are in Harvard. <laughs> so yeah, those are just the facts on the ground. Israel is going to destroy Hamas. That's just the consensus here in Israel, from far left to far right, to far north, to far south. That's happening no matter what. Back to the tweet. If and when the Israeli government rejects the global demand to end the war, Israel will become isolated diplomatically. And that includes the U.S. That will show its true colors. I hope I'm wrong, but Biden's support seems very conditional and artificial. Yeah, well, Biden's support. He, he, he's the, they're, Demo- they're the Democrats. I don't care what he says. That is the Democratic Party, and the Democratic Party in America has lost their way when it comes to Israel. People are fleeing from the party with Alan Dershowitz at, at 85 years old running in the front. I know Israel is strong militarily, and I know all this will end well, but I just don't see how we get there without massive damage along the way. And then he just goes on to say how sad and scary this all is that we must get our hostages back and the more we achieve the objective of destroying Hamas militarily the more likely it is that hostages will get killed as we see what just happened this weekend so it's rough it is rough we have to have faith and do what needs to be done and today we need to mourn and hopefully tomorrow we won't have to mourn anymore thank you Hillel Fold Thank you, Hillel Fold. I'm going to put a link to his Twitter account that you can follow where he shares all kinds of interesting things. I'm actually going to share in the next segment an app that's going to help you defend Israel. And I know what you're thinking. I know nothing about Israel. I just know that I love it and the Arabs are terrorists. (laughs) The Islamic Arabs are terrorists. Um, Yeah, and that's pretty much the story. But if you want to get into it, with somebody who wants to throw some facts at you, well, you got to know what you're talking about. And I'm going to give you a bunch of resources so you can get crack-a-lacking on your Hasbara, your Defense of Israel, whether it's online, on Instagram, Twitter, or in the grocery store, or in your college class. I have what you need. (laughs) It's a little ridiculous, but we're at that point where there has been so much fake news about Israel that um, it's literally become comical. It's impossible to differentiate between fact and fiction anymore. Like I, I read tweets, I'm like, is this satire? This this camp a human being could not have come up with this thought by themselves. <laughs> That's how ridiculous it is and dangerous it is because all of this media manipulation, all this fake news and p- propaganda, all of it, it's just pure fiction. It's pure fiction that is being presented as the truth that's being backed up by journalists that write fiction. Because what is truth anyway when you have big feelings? Like, it's all about the feelings, which is literally what it's not all about. Literally, facts don't care about your feelings. I I hate to say it, but that is the phrase of this generation. That is the phrase of this generation. If they would just get that, we can all move on with our lives. But, you know, 
Everyone's rejecting facts for their feelings. That's just the pure definition definition of wokeness. So as a result, we have all kinds of lunatics taking this information and presenting it as reality, online, offline, everywhere you look, everywhere you look. Fake news about Israel has become normalized. The entire history of Israel has become irrelevant. It's only what people say it is, and that's how it has to be or else you're committing genocide. That's like basically the whole deal. So we have an entire uh, generation of misinformed people, and it's really important that we get the word out about the truth of Israel. So we don't have insane polls. I mean, did you see this poll? In a new Harvard-Harris poll, 67% of respondents aged 18 to 24 agree that Jews are a class of oppressors and should be treated as oppressors. 67% of young people think that Israel is the oppressor. That is fake news. It's a big problem. But let me ask you, how do you convince someone that Israel is not the oppressor? Do you have the tools that it takes? Before we get there, I want to solidify in your minds just how transformative this massacre has been on the mentality, on the mentalities of the Israeli people and how people who used to be diehard leftists, people who used to just live by the notion that if only we would normalize the Palestinians, if only we would bring them closer and get to know them and humanize them, well, we would have peace. Like, let's stop demonizing them. Let's approach them with open arms and really show them that we are all one and the same because we are all one and the same. And that would be amazing. And it's usually the people who live closest to their enemy, who face their enemy on a regular basis, that are the most susceptible to their evil ways. Because evil is manifested in the shape of human beings when it comes to the Palestinian people. And we're not overextending by saying that the Palestinians are our enemies. The Palestinians are Hamas, and Hamas are the Palestinians, the same way the from people in Israel are Jewish and the Jews are the from people in Israel. It's completely interchangeable. It's one and the same. One is just living to the letter of the law, and one has just not outwardly expressed that it actually yearns to live by the letter of the law, just like we Jews do. Even the most secular Jew has an inclination towards what's right. Even the most secular, honest, in air quotes, Palestinian has a yearning <laughs> for the dark side. It's just so deeply inbred into them. So, and don't take that from me, because I called the Palestinians cockroaches. I left out the word terrorists, but I called them cockroaches on this episode. And Shoshana Keith Jaskol schooled me, and she's like, you cannot do that. It's 2023, and we might have peace. Well, they are cockroaches. They're, they're really the worst of the worst. And I'm going to play you a video of an Israeli woman who lived on kibbutz near Oz in Israel, a beautiful, beautiful, green, flourishing haven on the Gaza border. One out of four residents were either murdered or abducted to Gaza. And you're going to hear from an Israeli woman who is so devastated that only hearing it in her own voice 
can properly express how deep the sorrow is of having invested time, energy, and love towards a society that is not like us. No, they are not like us. They are not like us. And she's going to explain why. And this is an Israeli liberal, leftist, Ashkenazi, completely secular Jew. If it was up to her, Israel would look like Europe. It would just be a secular country where Hebrew was the spoken language and everyone could come and go as they please because everyone's the same. That's what this woman believed until October 7th. Listen to her speak. In 2005, when Israel moved out of Gaza Strip, I was very happy. I thought, this, this is the right thing to do. And I was shocked that two months later, they threw bombs, missiles at us. What? What the heck is going on? They just received what they wanted. Why, why is this going on? Generally speaking, everybody from the kibbutz is very left-minded. I would say even 100% of the people would really respect uh, the Palestinians and wish really good things for them and never want to hurt them or do anything bad to the, towards them. I always saw that they have an equal uh, right, like we do, to have their own country, to be happy, to live peaceful, to be prosperous. I also volunteered. I would drive the Palestinians who are very sick from the border to get treated in Israeli hospitals. It was constant automatic weapons from 6.37 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon. Constant, non-stop, all over the kibbutz, automatic weapon and grenades. I, I realized what they've done with all the money that Europe was sending them. They didn't build hotels. They didn't build beautiful restaurants. They didn't make a beautiful walkway near the beach. They accumulated weapons. And this is why people stayed poor, because the money was going there. Hundreds of civilians, including teenagers and women, storming our kibbutz and just stealing and destroying things. They left uh, bodies, they took the cut off the, sh the heads and took them. It's crazy. How, how can one really be so cruel? It's really... I, I think, am I thinking about myself being foolish until now? <laughs> maybe, maybe, but more is that I'm disappointed at them, that they're so cruel. Um, I have no values, really, lost their human values. There is no Hamas anymore. For me, there is the Palestinian nation. They are responsible for that, and I... I think Israel should release this concept of Hamas as being the important people. No. The whole community was, has invaded Niroz and were brutal and violent. I, I think about myself. Would I go to somebody's house and rob it and steal their shoes and bicycles and wallets? And No, I wouldn't. Even if he's my enemy. Even if it's somebody that I don't agree with. I would not do that. And if this is not clear to them or to the world, that's very sad. Really, what else can we do? 
What else can we do? I fight for the for peace. We step out from their land. We respect the them, you know, and this is what is going on. Slaughter, slaughter back? No. Too much. And that is the sound of the left dying in Israel, essentially. Really brutal stuff. And I'm not saying there aren't still some bleeding heart liberals like Rudy Rockman who still thinks this is easily resolvable. Like, we had the opportunity to make this work. We were so close. Yeah, that image of the Palestinian people and the Israeli people holding hands and skipping off together towards the sunset in the era of true peace for mankind, well, that has been smashed to smithereens. Nobody deserves or should have to put up with living next to terrorists who do terrible things to good people. That's it. That's just who they are. And whatever it takes for you to believe it, you need to believe it because that is the truth. And once you start saying, but the babies, it sucks that babies are dying. It really sucks that people are hurting. But it's not your fault and it's not my fault and nobody can stop it except the Palestinian people. It has to come from the inside out. And like I said previously in two episodes, there are no innocents in Gaza. I'm not saying it. Natalie Yochanan, a 38-year-old mother of two who lived in near Oz in a house where she didn't even have a key. They didn't even lock their doors. She sang it. She Listen to her story. Listen to her story. On October 7th, while she and her family were hiding in the safe room, a woman, a Gazan woman, walked into her unlocked front door, made herself at home for hours, eating, singing, and watching Netflix. Sometimes she even served drinks to armed terrorists who were stopping for a break from the massacre they were conducting outside. Natalie, hiding with her family in the safe room of the house, didn't get a chance to see the unwanted house guests. But she imagines the woman is a young mother, like her, and wonders how she could have been so cruel. Like many survivors of Hamas's surprise attack from Gaza, Natalie no longer believes coexistence with the Palestinians is possible. And why should it be? A woman came into her house, saw pictures of her kids on the wall, and still came to steal and terrify her children, destroyed her home, and killed everyone around them like it was nothing. She said, I have nothing in common with these people. Israelis are so repulsed. It is so sick that we've had anything to do with these people that we've associated with them to begin with. We just want to shake it off. How is one to believe in the good of man when you see this? in a human being that you think was just like you. It broke my faith, she said, Natalie, in the goodness of people, especially people from Gaza. I mean, listen to this. It's just so heartbreaking. Natalie Ochanan, an elementary school teacher, English school teacher and lifelong resident of Near O's, said she always hoped for peace and for the Palestinians to get their own state. She believed that ordinary Gazans were victims of Hamas, the terrorist group that has governed Gaza for almost two decades. We're a very peace-loving community. The country, they always make fun of us that we're very peace-loving and we want peace. These are the most left people in the whole country. Okay, They believe in peace and love, no borders, no rules. Everything is la-di-da, as left 
in a mentality as you can imagine. They drove Palestinian children from the border of Gaza, less than two miles away, to Israeli hospitals for life-saving medical care that we spoke about on this podcast multiple times because she believed that Hamas kidnapped Gaza and they were just good people and Hamas was controlling the whole situation there and that's the Arab way. You know, you can't interfere with that. It is what it is. They're victims. But now that she knows, listen to this. One of the first things the Gazan woman did when she came in, this is so heartbreaking, came into Yohanan's house was to turn off the electricity in the safe room. So for 12 hours until the army finally arrived to evacuate them, Natalie Yohanan, her husband, and their two children, aged six and eight, were trapped in sweltering heat. My kids were begging for water. Meanwhile, the woman turned on Netflix and changed it to Arabic, Yochanan said. She watched TV. She opened up the fridge. She heated up food. She drank Coke. She told other terrorists, do you want Coke? Do you want coffee? They spent five hours in her house sitting on the sofa and just relaxing. All the while, by the way, terrorists are shooting and banging on the safe room door as they come through in and out of this house. And they kill the family's dog. Then the woman takes her jewelry, makeup, underwear, shoes, sunglasses, passports, and her children's clothing and toys. I think about it a lot, that maybe she looks like me, that she's a young mother, Yochanan said. It was very hard for us to know that regular people, people we thought are not involved in the conflict, came just because they had an opportunity to plunder and steal. Gazan women and children as young as 10 years old followed Hamas terrorists into the kibbutz on October 7th, looting, helping the armed terrorists, and apparently enjoying themselves. They invaded the community. They stole stuff, killed people, and kidnapped others. Unbelievable. Natalie Ochran's father was one of the 46 people from near Oz that was killed by the terrorists on October 7th. He was shot while trying to hold shut the door of a safe room. Many of her students, Natalie's a teacher, an English teacher, many of her students and friends were also murdered. Across southern Israel, some 1,200 people were killed, most of them civilians. And she says, it's awful. We have this sense of revenge. It's an awful feeling. And and I, I, you know what? I'm so happy she's saying this because this is the reality of Golos in Israel. And that reality is that Israelis understand that Gaza needs to be destroyed. And yes, we show our our kids videos of houses being bombed in Gaza because we want to show them that Israel is still strong. She says, I want to show my son that the army is strong, that someone's protecting us because we don't feel it anymore. I don't want Hamas to exist anymore. I want the normal, the good people in Gaza to rule. I want someone who my country can talk to. Right now, it sounds like it will never happen, but I want to believe for my kids, Yochanan says. I don't want my kids to live in the same world that I do. Okay, some quick housekeeping. It is that time of year where everybody is giving money to other people. It doesn't matter why, whether it's employees, children, uh, nieces and nephews that you only see on Hanukkah. Everybody's just giving everybody cash, and that's just the way it goes down. Um, Therefore, I am taking this opportunity to ask you to click on the show note links If you have, in fact, enjoyed this podcast through the year, if you have, then make a donation because I will be thrilled to take this charity from zero to $30,000 so we can literally save lives. We can literally pay for 120 
tactical uniforms. That means fireproof, high-quality, Italian-made, Israeli-distributed combat uniforms for the Nahal Reserve Battalion, 5030. They're at the Lebanon border. They even made a little video thanking us, me specifically, listen not for my name, for raising 60% of what they need to order the uniform. So I'm going to play that little clip. I'm going to put the link in my show notes. I'm going to ask you to go down, spend $18, $36, your mice or money, 1000 It's paying for uniforms that are fireproof. That's what I know. And the ones that they wear and they give out in the IDF, well, they're not. So we want fireproof uniforms for these terrific guys so that no more soldiers get injured or worse killed because they don't have a fireproof uniform. It's ridiculous. So let's do this. We would like to say thank you to Uri Gobi and Hannah Felix for helping to raise the money for the tactical uniforms for our company and to help keep us safe. Am Yisrael Chai. All right, so let's get them the uniforms that they need and let's get you the weapons that you need. I'm going to share with you um, just a couple of different ways that you can help out when it comes to Hasbara. Hasbara is the method of defending Israel and giving Hasbara, trying to explain what's going on here, the truth and nothing more, nothing less. And that involves a lot of knocking down of lies. And sometimes the lies are so convoluted that it's impossible to even know where to start and where to end because I didn't even know those accusations existed. But you know what? We have actual students in Harvard. And that's according to Senator Dan Sullivan, who visited his alma mater last weekend and witnessed this in the Widener Library. He writes, I couldn't believe my eyes. Nearly every student in the back room was wearing a kafia. Flyers attached to their individual laptops, as well as affixed to some of the lamps in the reading room, read, no normalcy during genocide, justice for Palestine. A young woman handed the flyers to all those who entered. A large banner, and I'm looking at it now, spread across one side of the room, stated in blazing blood red letters, stop the genocide in Gaza. Sullivan talks about how the Widener Library was a revered place of quiet study for tens of thousands of Harvard students and alumni. Imagine if you were an 18-year-old Jewish or Israeli student or even a pro-Israeli Catholic like me, and you wanted to study for your chemistry final in the Widener Reading Room on a Sunday afternoon. Imagine being confronted by this protest, obviously condoned by Harvard's leadership and commandeered by the Palestine Solidarity Committee, the group behind the notorious statement that holds the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence in the immediate aftermath of the October 7th attack. Would you feel welcome in Harvard's most famous library or would you feel rattled, intimidated and harassed by the anti-Israel banner screaming, stop the genocide in Gaza? So yeah, that's what we're dealing with in Harvard. So we need to educate our young people. We need people to actually know what to do and what to say when they're dealing with all these Mishagayim. And there's a lot of them, and we want to be prepared. So grab a pen, make some notes. I'm going to put links in the show notes. You can get to where I need you to get. But in the meantime, internalize all of this, because these are the facts, and I've accumulated them from the most factual people in Hasbara, in Israel, and abroad. Now, I didn't go to any fancy schools, and uh, you know, I basically learned Chumash, my teachers told me, my parents told me, everyone around me said it. It said it in the Chumash. It's all there, black and white. Eretz Yisrael belongs to the Jewish people. And that's it. I even wrote a song about it. So for me, it was very black and white and remains that black and white. But when you got to break down the nitty gritty and you're dealing with a media that doesn't tell the truth, here are 10 basic facts that 
the media doesn't report. And this is just the truth as they are. And if people would just internalize this, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be dealing with all of this. It would be, just be a great, beautiful blue sky day where I'd be running around Israel like a chicken without a head looking for something to share on Instagram. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Okay, number one, the conflict is older than Israel, the state of Israel, and older than Zionism. So yeah, if you want to read more about that, Rabbi Sachs' book, uh, Not in God's Name, he'll take you all the way back to Yishmael. So this is this is not a new conflict. Number two, you cannot assume the Palestinian side is rational. Their mindset is governed by an honor-shame mentality that is more important than what is best for Palestinians altogether. They're like drug addicts, basically, that are being controlled by their lower brains. And their lower brains are telling them to be terrorists and kill everything and everyone. That's not rational, and therefore, we can't take them seriously. Number three, the same honor-shame mindset means that lying is acceptable, or even mandatory when the truth is embarrassing. There's an expression, never trust an Arab 40 feet in the grave. I ain't make it up. I'm just repeating it. Is it Islamophobic? No, because we're all scared of Arabs. They're not scared of us. There's no phobia when it comes to Islam. Is it rude? Yeah, it's rude, but so what? You know, most of them have earned this reputation of lying because that's their culture. As a matter of fact, when Hashem offered them the Torah, they said, no, thanks. We, we want to lie. They asked what's in it. Avram Fried sings about this. Hashem said, no lying. And they said, we want to lie. They lie. That's the way they are. That's how they roll. The truth is even embarrassing. That's that's their mentality. If you tell the truth, you're an embarrassment to the family. Nothing they say is the truth. Number four, you know, it's like the West doesn't get this. Number four, according to the surveys, Palestinians are the most anti-Semitic group on earth. Not anti-Zionist, anti-Semitic. Out of all the people on the planet, the most anti-Semitic people on earth, the people who want to kill Jews the most are the Palestinians. Get it through your thick heads. Number five, urban warfare is the most difficult warfare there is. The extensive tunnel system makes it probably the most difficult in history. So not only are we dealing with the biggest, most savage, cruelest anti-Semites, we're also dealing with urban warfare that involves tunnels underground. So Israel has to fight the Palestinians above ground like rats and below ground like cockroaches or in reverse. Above ground like cockroaches and below ground like rats. That's it. That's the situation. The whole Gaza is full of termites. I, I'm sorry to make uh, analogies and comparisons to to vermin, but what other animal behaves like this on, on, on earth? People don't behave like this. They don't act like this. You don't have people underground like rodents d determined to kill other people and to take money from their civilians, from their friends and families and relatives and take that money and watch the Palestinians beg like gypsies, like like poor nebachs in the street for food and for money and for help and for aid while they take that money to make tunnels underground so they could do exactly this. So they could do exactly this. So they can kill Israeli soldiers who have to come into Gaza after they've come into our country and hurt and killed so many people that we have no choice but to destroy them. So now, we're, yeah, we're dealing with urban warfare, the most complicated and difficult all of all time, so difficult that we have our own soldiers killing hostages. Manolitzlan. Number six. If Hamas survives the war, it is a major blow to the entire Western world's freedom. Simple as that. Number seven, the only winner when Gaza civilians die is Hamas. Well, we know that. Or you could say Hamas wins when people die. That's their goal. People should die. As many people should die as possible. So everyone who's dying here, everyone, that's, 
Hamas winning. So when people stop dying, Hamas stops winning. And Israel has to destroy Hamas so that stops happening. Number eight, Hamas's entire war strategy is based on Israel not wanting to kill civilians and willing to do anything to protect Israeli civilians. In short, our morality is our weakest attribute to Hamas. Number nine, Palestinians, West Bank, Gaza, Fatah, Hamas, all of them overwhelmingly support murdering Jews. A huge majority after October 7th have supported, have expressed support for the most heinous specific terror attacks. And they don't want a two-state solution. They only want a stage to destroy Israel. And number 10, and this instill in your brain and believe it with all your heart, because this is the truth. And I've said it here before. Israel sets the moral standard for the world when it comes to the IDF. The IDF is a professional army. It doesn't act out of revenge or fury. Every single move it makes is for a specific military purpose. And every attack has a specific military target in mind. And it wasn't, God forbid, three hostages. So let's just put that to bed. All right. So those are very, very important to have in your handbook uh, of Hasbara, your Hasbara handbook when it comes to defending Israel. But there's so much more. There is so much more. I'm going to take you now to a great website. And this website, you're going to put on your phone and you're going to use it. And it's going to help you. It's going to guide you because it is the future and the future is AI. And you could officially use AI to help you defend Israel. So I have the website open here, AI4Israel.com. There's a lot of anti-Israel and anti-Semitic misinformation being thrown around in the media and especially social media. This tool helps you respond with strong arguments based on facts and logic. Enter an anti-Israel argument below to generate a clear, strong reply. Okay, let's do this. Israel steals Arab lands. Generate a powerful response. Israel didn't steal land. This is, it says how you should answer. Israel didn't steal land. The establishment of modern Israel followed the UN partition plan, recognizing 3,000 years of Jewish presence and indigenous connection to the West Bank and Gaza were taken by Israel during the 1967 Six-Day War, an attempt to annihilate Israel that severely backfired. Previous to that, these areas were contested land occupied by Jordan and Egypt, respectively, as a result of the 1948 war. Okay, that's clear. Let's try something else. All right. The Palestinians. Palestinians are refugees. Generate a powerful response. Based on the content provided, it's clear that the Palestinians became refugees due to the decisions of their own leaders and Arab states during the 1948 war. And that it says here based on the content provided. I'm going to assume that means based on facts in history. Arab leaders encouraged them to leave their homes, that is true, temporarily, promising a swift victory that never came. Instead of absorbing the refugees, Arab states used them as pawns in their ongoing conflict with Israel. Cha-ching! 100% accurate. Let's try something else. Um, here, okay. Let's do, why is there a blockade on Gaza? That's a good one. Everyone's always talking about that on Gaza. Let's see. The blockade in Gaza exists because Hamas, which controls Gaza, constantly launches attacks on Israel. 
This blockade is a defensive measure to prevent Hamas from acquiring more weapons and escalating violence. It's not an occupation or a subjugation of Palestinians, but a response to Hamas's threats and violence. The suffering of Gaza is due to Hamas's actions, not Israel's defense measures. This is great. This is groovy. I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes, AI4Israel.com. Start using it. You know, use it live. If you're in a chat, if you're in a Zoom, if you're online, this is a great way. You could just throw in a phrase. Here, let's see what, let's say, why can't we free, free Palestine? Why can't we free, free Palestine? The call to free Palestine often applies to destruction of Israel. Okay, and which is unacceptable. I, I love this. This is great. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes that you can easily have access to this. You can put it on your phone as an icon and just tap on it when you're in a fix, in a restaurant, in an airplane, in a bathroom, in a mall, in Toronto, anywhere that Palestinians roam, Palestinian supporters, Hamas supporters roam, and you will have everything you need to make a great viral Instagram video you responding with the truth to a hater with a fake flag. All right? It's not even a real flag. It's just a Jordan flag without the star. All right. What else did I want to tell you? There is so much going on. Um, Chris Cuomo defending Israel. If you haven't seen that, that is worth a watch. He watched the 47-minute horror film, the horror videos, compiled by Israel that they are screening for press and press only because of the nature of the content, streamed from GoPros, and all kinds of footage from that horrible nightmare day. And he just, he, anyone who sees it and gets it and, and experiences evil up front like that, the, the switch is quick. The switch is quick. The, the problem is that the kids in Harvard University and in Penn and all these colleges that I would have never gotten in, they have been cuddled. They have been cuddled. They don't know pain. They don't know discomfort. They only know their phones. Nobody wants to move out of their comfort level or work on themselves or be brave. All they want to do is focus on their pronouns. So therefore, we have a bunch of big, fat, overgrown, underdeveloped babies in our colleges. That, that's what we're dealing with. You know, like when you're playing a board game with a kid who's just being unreasonable and making up rules as you're playing, and they're like, oh, oh that, this is a rule. I'm telling you, Tati, this is, this is exactly how you're supposed to play. And you're like, but it's literally the opposite of how this game goes. And you just, you know, take one look at your kid's face and you're just like, okay, we're going to play. I'll play, the, I'll play the rules because I'm, you know, a moral person here and I know how you're supposed to play Monopoly and I'm just going to do the right thing here because otherwise he's going to have a fit. And then what kind of dad am I? Like, what kind of game is this? So that's what we're do doing. We're playing a board game with terrorists, which is like the same thing as playing with the six-year-old kid who's just like changing the rules as the game progresses. And you don't even want to play to begin with. But meanwhile, you're losing all your pieces because of your vicious opponent across from you that is hell-bent on winning this game, even if it means knocking all the pieces off and just like smushing everything up and starting again and calling for a ceasefire. Like, you know, anything goes. And that's why we're going to win this unconventionally by tuning in and tapping in to our mazel. This month's mazel is actually... Um, I believe it's anger, and that's the month of Tevet. It's a very unpredictable, chaotic month. So good for me. It's my birthday. <laughs> that sounds just about right. But how do we diffuse anger? Well, with humor and with joy and with simcha and with music. 
And that is allowed. That is okay. And that is encouraged, as a matter of fact, in these dark times. The darker the time, the more the need for light, the more the need for joy and positivity. And that's what we, that's what we have to do. We have to keep trying. So if you haven't seen the video of Osher, the fitness coach from Israel, eating 27 sufganiyot and two bottles of shoko in one sitting, well, then you're not following my beautiful Land of Israel Instagram page because then you would be watching him actually succeed this incredible feat of devouring 27 donuts. Happy Hanukkah. Got your diabetes for the holidays. <laughs> Another beautiful video. What I'm watching are, I would say, 30 chayalim dressed in their IDF uniforms, wearing black masks. So you can't really see their face. Not COVID masks, but full, you know, ski masks. And they are dancing to Baruch HaGever at a bar mitzvah in Israel. Because this boy had a bar mitzvah and his dad invited the whole battalion. And they all showed up to the bar mitzvah and they sang Baruch HaGever and they made uh, an arch that the father and the son ran through. And then they put him on the chair and then they danced and, and it was the coolest, most awesome, dope bar mitzvah ever. So yeah, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking we should start a business. I should start a business. I will fly out eight adequately handsome IDF soldiers to your son's bar mitzvah and everyone will be happy. All the guests on both sides will be very excited and these guys will make the party because they're dancing Baruch HaGever in perfect synchronicity. They're lifting him up on the chair. They're strong. They didn't drop him. There was no fear that they would drop him. Everyone was excited. It's just a vibe. Even the balloons are an IDF vibe. They're like gold and green and white. This whole bar mitzvah is IDF themed. And this is great. So if you want to make an IDF themed bar mitzvah, then I'm sure me or my husband can make that happen for you. So many joyful, beautiful things. Um, a bus. A new traveling salon bus coming to an army base near you. There is a bus now, I believe it sets out this week, where you, if you are a soldier, where soldiers can get a haircut, shampoo, shave, manicure, pedicure, in a massage chair, two massage chairs, hot water, a blowout, a warm hug, and a friendly smile on the traveling salon bus. Yeah, that's a thing. They took a bus, an egged bus, a duplex one, and they transformed it into a salon that's going to be traveling from army base to army base so these soldiers can look great when they come to your son's bar mitzvah. How beautiful is that? Mi ka'amcha Yisrael. So there you have it, episode 161 of the Weekly Squeeze. Please consider contributing to the fireproof uniforms for the IDF soldiers that I am helping raise money for. The link is in my show notes. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. If you're on Apple Podcasts, that means clicking the plus on, on Spotify. That means, you know, follow follow, subscribe, like, share. It's all good. I'll see you next week.